What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Duke Wisdom Podcast. It's been too long. It's been too long since the last episode. I think it, it's been two full weeks, and, and I really want to apologize for that up front. Life's, life's been crazy. I'm in my last semester as a college student. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm juggling things coming from like nine different directions at all times. But keeping up with these games, obviously, I mean, if you follow the Twitter account, the Instagram accounts, obviously, I'm still tweeting. I'm still posting about the games and everything that's happening. And well, there's been four games that have happened since the last time. The last time I hopped on the mic, I was talking about the loss to Carolina. Well, Duke has won four straight games in response to that loss. And they have now won 15 of their last 17 games, which is terrific. Um, the NCAA tournament committee base, basically puts out their their top four seed lines about a month in advance before the tournament. Now, obviously, it's a very, very much malleable list. Um, I, I think back to the 2017 season in which Duke was listed as, I think, maybe even the very last four seed uh, that season and ended up getting a number two seed after winning the ACC tournament. Now, and also I think it's very much true that the committee does not take into account conference tournaments in the same way they used to. Duke winning the conference tournament last year seemed to basically not make them budge whatsoever on the seed line, still ended up as a five seed, which I think was very much wrong. But in their, their first initial top four seed lines that they put out on Saturday, Duke fell as the last three seed, so they would be on the three line at the moment. North Carolina was the first two seed, and that's you know that's the only two ACC teams you can see other than them. People are assuming Clemson, Virginia, both in the field right now. Wake Forest falling out of contention a bit. I'm going to talk a lot more about Wake Forest and the game that Duke already had with them, and then the game that they have coming up Saturday as well. Um, Four wins for Duke. Four wins, none of which to me, except for a little bit against Florida State, none of them made me think that, wow, this team has turned the corner. This team's a championship team. But also, for not even one single second, I mean, not even one single solitary second of time, was I thinking, Duke's going to lose this game. During any of these four games, and I think that's a pretty, you know, expected response in the Notre Dame game. Duke was in control almost from tip to finish. I think a very similar uh, thing happened against Boston College. Some people might think me uh, a bit too relaxed during the Wake Forest and Florida State games because there were moments in which it was a one possession game. It was a two possession, two possession game very consistently in both of those games and just, you know, all you, that needed to happen was a couple things go wrong. And just like that, Wake Forest is very much in the driver's seat in that game or Florida State is very much in the driver's seat in that game. But me personally, I was never concerned. I was never concerned in those games. This Duke team is at a point right now where I trust, I trust it not to lose games that it is absolutely supposed to win, especially when those games are at home. I, I'm going to review the games that they played. Duke, though, has six games left. Now, when you're listening to this tomorrow, they will be playing at Miami. That is a game they can lose because it is a, an away game, but I think it's a game they should win. I think that a lot of this, the rest of this season will be informed by how that game goes. 
I have very strong convictions about the game in Winston-Salem at Wake Forest on Saturday. That is that is the game I'm most confident Duke will probably lose in its last six games. Other than that, I actually think Duke should and likely will win the rest of the games. The one I'm most questionable about is Miami. Can't see them losing to Louisville. I think they will beat Virginia because it is at home. State will provides a unique challenge every time Duke walks into PNC Arena. I think I'm looking at this one a little bit differently because it is in March. Typically, Duke walks into PNC in January. They're a much younger, more inexperienced team. John Shire seems to get his teams a little more polished in February and especially by March. So when they walk into PNC Arena, I'm not saying it's going to be easy because even in Cameron last season, Duke was only able to not get a four-point win on state after getting throttled in Raleigh. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but if made me bet money on it, which is not legal until March, <laughs> the day before the ACC tournament, by the way. But hypothetically, if you ask me to put money on it, I'd put money on Duke right now. That could change given how, how Duke and NC State both perform in the coming weeks. And then the game against North Carolina and Cameron, Carolina, since that Duke game has, has fallen off very much so, losing to Clemson and then almost losing to Miami and then losing to Syracuse. Uh, arguably, I think North Carolina has a, a worse resume overall than Duke now at this point. Arguably, their losses, they have one more loss and their losses in total, I think, are worse than Duke's, especially given Pitt's sort of ascension onto the bubble for the NCAA tournament. Pitt has done very well. Blake Henson coming off a 41 point game. Anyway, I digress. I think that Duke against, you know, when, when you look up the resume to Carolina, I think they're a little closer than the committee had them at, at fifth and 12th. I think they're a lot closer than that. Um, and I think Duke is in a very good position to make a, a jab at at least tying the ACC regular season title. They're currently half a game back. Carolina doesn't play till Saturday at Virginia, which will be a tough game for the Heels. They haven't won there in a long time. But so Duke will be able to, if Duke wins at Miami Wednesday, they will catch that half game back, which would tie them. And at that point, if Duke were to beat Carolina, that would give them the cushion that even if Carolina didn't lose to anyone else but Duke in that last game, Duke can drop one game. If Carolina also loses another game, like say to Virginia on Saturday, that gives Duke the cushion to lose to two teams that aren't Carolina. And so that's, you know, that's that's something that's something to, to think about. But ACC regular season title is very much. it's in reach for Duke and it depends on how they play because honest, honestly, they don't have to do I mean, if if they can beat Carolina, they don't have to prey on UNC's downfall to win. They just have to do their part to make it happen. So I I think that's more of a long-term goal and I'll talk about that and I'll probably end up mentioning, actually I'll mention it now to get it out of the way before I talk about these games specifically, the award races that's a big thing for me. I love looking at the award races as we get into, especially as we get into February. That's a big deal for me. Um, and I think Jared McCain, and obviously I'm going to talk more about this, but his 35-point game against Florida State. If there was any doubt for me that Jared McCain was the leader for, for ACC Rookie of the Year, that, that doubt has been wiped away as long as he shows up and does well in the last six games. Um, I think that Jared McCain is is and should be the ACC's Rookie of the Year. He just took home ACC Rookie of the Week. I mean, his stats aren't like bonkers. I think he's 13.8 points per game right now. But ultimately, you've got 
you know, Cunningham and, and, and Pitt doing well. And, and Marcus Burton certainly has the highest point per game average of any rookie, but Notre Dame's just not quite the team uh, that, that would produce the rookie of the year. I think the same thing is true for Georgia Tech with Bidongo. So really, to me, the only two viable candidates candidates for ACC Rookie of the Year are McCain and Cunningham. But I think Jared is separating himself as Duke is separating itself as uh, the elite team or one of the two elite teams in the ACC. Duke now has the best overall record of any team in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And if they beat Miami, will be tied for best record in conference play as well. So. The Blue Devils have have ascended to a level that Pitt's not at, but Pitt is doing very well. I think actually maybe even the fourth seed right now in the ACC tournament, which is an interesting dynamic. But so there's that. I think McCain is the leader for rookie of the year. It's 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 becoming his to lose. There's even the argument that national freshman of the year, that the Wayman Tisdale Award could in fact be McCain's to lose. Kentucky fans would argue that's not the case. They like Reed Shepard to each their own. I think McCain is in that conversation. Kyle Filipowski struggled lately, and I'll get more into that. Uh, he would still certainly be a pick for first-team All-ACC, but the assertion that I made a few weeks ago that said Filipowski was winning the ACC Player of the Year battle against R.J. Davis, that argument is is minute. It is, it is just not true anymore. R.J. Davis is currently, in my opinion, the runaway ACC Player of the Year, unless Filipowski goes nuclear over the next six games because his point per game has fought has just fallen significantly. It, the quality of play is not there, but I, I'll get more into to Filipowski and the perception of his play and uh, kind of the fan reaction and stuff like that as well. But, you know, and I, I think Filipowski will still probably end up as a first-team All-ACC player. I think McCain will be second or third. I think the biggest question marks are, is Jeremy Roach going to get an All-ACC nod? Which he should. I mean, I can't imagine a world in which Roach goes his entire career ends it almost as probably around a 1,500-point score and does not get an All-ACC nod at any point. He certainly deserves that. Mark Mitchell, for his play in conference play, uh, this dude was the the player of the game for like three consecutive games before the Florida State one. And so to me, it's like Mitchell's been fantastic, especially in conference play. And he, to me, I don't think there should be any doubt that Mark Mitchell is an All-ACC player, but I don't see him making it. I think he will be an honorable mention, and that's about the extent of it. I think he can make a jab for the defensive team, and that's probably about it. And I think that's a little unfortunate. But Duke has four very viable All-ACC players. Obviously, I think the max they get is three. If I had to guess who the odd man out would be, it'd be Mitchell. I hate hate that because I think he's been terrific. Want to join a community of Duke accounts publishing news, theories, and predictions on Duke athletics? Join the Duke Wisdom Network. Just go to dukewisdom.org slash join network today and fill out the form with your name and social media. Or you can DM at Duke underscore wisdom on Twitter or Instagram. Become a part of the community of Duke fans publishing their takes today. Again, that's dukewisdom.org slash join network or DM at Duke underscore wisdom on Twitter or Instagram. But let's start up. Speaking of Mark Mitchell, he had a terrific performance the first time Duke played against Notre Dame. I think he had like 23 points in, in South Bend. But then Duke welcomes Notre Dame to Cameron Indoor Stadium in its first game after the loss to North Carolina. And Mark Mitchell ends up as the player of the game once again. He had 13 points uh, and 10 rebounds. Um, not great Free throw shooting for Mitchell in that one, but 
just a very balanced effort overall, I think. Caleb Foster also had uh, 13 points, an important game for him off the bench. Um, 11 for McCain, not his most impactful game, but certainly not a horrible one. I think where Duke fell short a little bit in this game, and, and it felt, and they did fine. I mean, they ended up winning the game by 18, but this felt like a game that Duke was just kind of, and this is how I think the last four games have felt, that Duke was kind of, they were they were muddied up. They they didn't look, you know, the way that they could have. They won. They did fine. No fan should have been stressing the result of this game. And in my opinion, they shouldn't have been stressing the result of any of the last four games. Duke was clearly going to win all four of them to me, but it was it wasn't like a a step in the this is a Final Four team direction. It was just kind of like, well, I mean, they're winning. And, and it's hard to say something like that when you win by 18 points in a conference game because it's always difficult to do that. But specifically in this game, Notre Dame shot the ball fairly poorly. Um, they did all right at times. There were certain players that did well. Shrewsbury and Burton did well outside of that. It was pretty much a no-show by Notre Dame. Duke did a really good job defensively against Notre Dame. I will sing the praises there. For what they weren't able to do offensively, only shooting 22% from three, 60 from the line, which was a big problem, uh, they, they were able to, to make up for that defensively. And here's where it really starts. I mean, well, it started way earlier in the season, the Filipowski slander. He had like that 22-point game against Carolina, but there were still people blaming him for that loss, which is just crazy. And then here against um, Notre Dame, he had a pretty you know, so-so eh, game the first time against Notre Dame. And, well, he repeated eight points, nine re rebounds, three assists, but also three turnovers, four fouls for Filipowski. Um, and, and, and I'm going to get into this further, but he there, there's something that seems, I don't know. I don't know if it's off court. It's, he's, he's just frustrated on court. There's, there's something going on there. He is certainly playing out of position, and that's something that we cannot forget, that he has been expected to play the five, and he's not really a five. So I'm going to get deeper into this, but I'll just establish the fact that Filipowski struggled against Notre Dame. Um, some, some solid minutes from Ryan Young in that one. Sean Stewart had one of his best games, especially in conference play. Just four points, but he had one sequence where he had a, a heck of a block shot that, lead, or that led into a... a Lob dunk on on the fast break, very reminiscent of Harry Giles against UNC in the ACC tournament back in 2017. So uh, some good run by by Sean Stewart in that one. Jeremy Roach didn't have his best game. Tyrese Proctor did all right, scoring nine points. So beyond the Notre Dame game, let's move on to the second game that absolutely was not in question uh, in question at any point. It was Boston College. Eagles were welcomed into Cameron Indoor Stadium for the second game in what was a three-game home or home stretch. Uh, Duke won that one by 15. Again, Mark Mitchell, the player of the game. Like I said, one of the most underappreciated players in, in college basketball, period. He had 17 points against the Eagles. And, and, here, and here's a, a prime example of, of Filipowski getting a little too much slander. But there's certain areas where he could have done better. 16 points against Boston College. Filipowski did, did well. Um, and he had a block, just one turnover. Shot the ball, you know, almost 50% from the floor. 
fifty percent from three, and he he missed his free throw, but he only shot one. So, but the 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 big thing, I guess, is for that game is the lack of rebounding, and that's been a little striking. It's in certain games, he only had one board, but overall, I think Duke did fine on the boards. They won the rebound battle by five, and a lot of that is because Jared McCain, who who had before coming into Florida State, had a double-double in four of his last five games. He's he's just been a stud. McCain's just been a stud defensively, offensively. He's shooting it well. He's such a phenomenal rebounder for his height at 6'3 that he brings a much more comfortable dynamic. Earlier in the season, the, the three-guard, four-guard lineups just didn't work as well because I think McCain played a more reserved role. But ultimately, he came. he has come into his own um, and play, he's playing tough, and he's getting these boards, and the rebounding has been has been huge from McCain because it's allowed Duke to more confidently play him. Honestly, what what would traditionally be at the three? It's not really the three, but I guess you can look at it like that. Uh, Roach had a pretty good game against BC with sixteen. Uh, McCain, you know, didn't score a lot, but as I mentioned, he had that double double. Proctor did fine, ten points. Um, nothing to complain about Sean Stewart had five points another good game to follow up that Notre Dame one and then five from from Foster as well the starters as a whole did well this was a good game for Duke that they never really were sweating they didn't allow uh, many great games and if you want to say sing some praises to Duke's front court you know everybody likes beating down on Kyle Filipowski well Quentin Post an all ACC level player just eight points on the game only got up five shots and one of them was a three so I think that's a pretty pretty good pretty good performance defensively by Duke's front court on Quentin Post. They did a a good job defensively against both Notre Dame and against Boston College. Um, there's no doubt about that. So, but the concerns about Filipowski remain. Proc, and then there's also the the Proctors just kind of remaining under the radar. And after that big stretch of games he had against Louisville, Clemson, that he has just fallen back into the. I'm going to put up nine or 10 and that's what you're going to get from me basically. And that's all you're going to get from me. And the assist numbers aren't as high as they were to begin the season. So people are, are really knocking on Filipowski. They're knocking on Proctor a little bit. And then they're, they're forgetting about Mark Mitchell a lot of the times and they're just loving up on Jared, Jared McCain. And that's kind of where, where it's, it's, it's gotten to it uh, with certain, certain fans. And then I'll go to the, the third game. Where, where Duke played and hosted Wake Forest. And, well, I'll get it off the, the, the dome real fast that this was one of the worst games I've ever seen officiating-wise in my entire life. And not even in the, the way that it was like they're getting calls wrong. It was in the way that, I mean, they did, obviously. But it was in the way that something would happen and then the next play had begun five seconds ago, like it was already beginning and then they would blow the whistle and call it back to something that happened like a million years ago. And they had to confer and change calls like three times in the first half. Um, yeah, Ted Valentine wasn't on his 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 best behavior that <laughs> that night. And it was just it was just a crazy, crazy officiated game. And this game was a weird game in a lot of ways. I'm pretty sure Wake Forest missed. It's first 11 three-point attempts before I think uh, Monsanto was able to finally hit one. They still end up like 23%, 6 of 26 from three. This is traditionally a, a really good shooting team. 
Salas did very well with uh with 22 points, but overall, I mean, when you talk about Hildreth, the fantastic player, 0 3 from 3, 1 and 9 from the floor. I mean, just Duke got lucky in a lot of ways. Now their defense was good. It was good, but that, honestly, there were times where it wasn't so good that I was like, well, this is just because of Duke's defense that Wake's missing these shots. A lot of times I was just like, wow, I can't believe Wake's missing these open shots. And that's just kind of how it went. And Duke got a lead and it felt like, in a lot of ways, like that Notre Dame game felt like it could have been a 30-point win, but it was an 18-point win. Boston College game felt like it should have been a 25-point win. It was a 15-point win. Well, this one really felt like this should have maybe been a 20-point win for Duke, given the way Wake Forest played. And it just wasn't. They were... This team's kryptonite is the fact that they just can't put teams away. They let them linger. They don't have that 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 just foot on the gas, blow you out kind of feel to them. They they get the wins. They're good. They're the better team. They get the job done, but they're not. They're just not waxing them, you know, off the floor uh, like like they really could. I think they're good enough to do that. And sometimes they just let the other team. The other team lingers for a while. This weight team is very good, and that's very clear. They just had a very bad game. And the fact that Duke only won by eight when Wake played a very bad game is is a and also Duke's somewhat recent struggles uh at Wake are why I really think that Duke is likely to lose the game on sat this Saturday at Wake Forest. Um I could be wrong about that, but that's my official prediction for that one. Again, third straight game that Mark Mitchell was player of the game. He tied his career high, 23 points. Eight boards, uh, not so great on from the free throw line for Mark, but he's starting to get that three. He's 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 above twenty percent as a three point shooter now. Uh, where at some point he was actually sub five percent on the season, and so he's done very. He's been selective in his three point shooting. He hasn't forced the looks to try to you know get into a rhythm. He's just taking them when they're they're there, and they're you know no defense still. They don't respect him. But honestly, recently he's been like a 50% shooter. So I feel fairly confident with Mitchell taking threes, maybe outside of like in the clutch, but he's heck, he's shown he can do it in the past. He did against Notre Dame last season. But much more confidence for Mitchell as a shooter. He's done very well uh, overall, and that was his third player of the game in a row. And people want to crap on Kyle Filipowski constantly, 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 constantly. And it keeps coming up, and it doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what he does. 21 points against Wake Forest and 11 rebounds. He did have four turnovers. The turnovers have been concerning at, at parts, and I think it's just because he's trying to force things. But it's also because he he demands so much defensive attention. Uh, out, out of everybody on the team, Filipowski still demands the most defensive attention. And I'll get into this more uh, in the Florida State game, but you can see it. Jared McCain put up 25 points in the first half against Florida State. Shot the freaking seams off the basketball. And in the second half, Florida State was still defending him one-on-one. Coming off ball screens, off ball, didn't matter. One defender on him. If he got him on a pump fake or he lost him on a screen, McCain got an open look. It didn't matter. He was still defended one-on-one. When Filipowski gets the ball inside, there were times in which Florida State collapsed three guys onto Kyle Filipowski. Now, part of that is maybe because they know they can they can block his shot. He's not the most athletic player. They think they can get him to turn the ball over, in which he did many times. But it's like, also, what other player are they falling down like that on defensively for Duke? No one. And everybody plays Kyle Filipowski like that because the key to shake Duke up 
is to shake Kyle Filipowski up. If Kyle Filipowski has a good day, if it, if, then it's going to be hard to beat Duke. If he has a great day, you don't beat Duke. Plain and simple. Some of the guards can have a great day, and Duke can lose the game. But Filipowski played a good game. He played a very good game against a talented center at Wake Forest. Uh, he was able to get players in foul trouble, and he, I think he had a very successful game. Yes, he was only one of six from three, but I mean, he had that stretch where I think he set impossible standards, where he was shooting like 90% from three over a three-game stretch, and now people think he's supposed to consistently be this 40 or 50% three-point shooter, which is not the case, because for most of his career, he shot sub-30. And so let's let's taper the expectations. He's more like a 34% three-point shooter, which is fine. Totally, totally respectable for a seven-footer, especially. And he did a terrific job against Wake Forest, but still gets you know berated with hate, and I think that's very unfortunate. McCain had another double double against Wake, seventeen and ten. He you know continued to build on his his tear that only got uh, better against Florida State. Someone who's kind of disappeared in, into the back has been Jeremy Roach. He had twelve points and five assists against Wake. He had an even better game with like sixteen against Florida State. But I mean, wait, Jeremy Roach has not had loud performances. But he makes timely shots. He is the the X factor. He is the determining man on how far Duke goes because he's going to be Mr. March for the Blue Devils. He's going to be the guy that makes the shots in the clutch. He's the senior captain. You cannot forget about him. He's still doing very well. 14 points per game on the season. A big year for Roach. Not a whole lot coming from the bench. 26 minutes from Foster. He only had four points. And then, of course... In 25 minutes, there was the, the, the goose egg laid by Proctor. But then, but then, I guess, comes into question knowing what we know now. I think at the time, and I'm glad that I'm recording this when I am because in retrospect, I can look at this in, in a better light because if I'd recorded the day after, I would have been like, well, Proctor, 25 minutes, zero points, you know, 0 of 5. But I, and, and yes, early in the game, I think he should have shot more. But knowing that he suffered a concussion in this game, kind of allows you to be like, okay, well, I understand a little bit more uh, about his performance in this one. But it's also like he, he, he had been falling off for a few games before this. And Duke, Duke is such a different team, and they're so much more difficult to take on when Tyrese Proctor is putting his best foot forward. Duke has not gotten Tyrese Proctor's best foot forward uh, in, in a few weeks now. And it's unclear when he'll come back from from this concussion, whether he'll be available against Miami or not. I would wager no against Miami, maybe against Wake. Um, but when will Duke get Proctor back? When will Duke get the version of Proctor they need back if they do is the big question. And so that leads to the most recent game, which is the first of a three-game stretch on the road, which they played a Florida State team that was hungry for a signature win. Duke did not give it to them, mostly because of the absolutely unconscious shooting of McCain, who hit seven threes in the first half, eight threes total on the game. He was eight of 11 from three. McCain ended up tying the freshman three-point record with eight threes made. He also tied the freshman scoring record in a single game with 35 points, tying Zion Williamson, which was just huge. And he shot the ball just so terrifically, so confidently uh, off the dribble, pump fakes, step backs, uh, especially shot the ball well in transition, but was able to get some money inside as well. I think toward the end of the game, he was forcing things a bit. He ended up with five turnovers, 
but ultimately his defense was was solid as well, and he was he was the biggest recipe for success. Jalen Blake's had a good game off the bench. I want to mention that he had five points. Good and one on the fast break. Uh, ultimately, Mark Mitchell, after three straight player of the games, disappeared a little bit against Florida State. I hate I hate the, the games where Mark Mitchell sort of disappears, but he he kind of did that. He's one of five from the line, but he disappeared a bit. Foster's in the lineup with Proctor not traveling with the team, although Ty- uh, Tyrese was watching the game. Uh, on the TV back in Durham, and I'm pretty sure he shouldn't do that with a concussion, Tyrese, but nobody's going to tell him not to watch that game. Um, anyway, yeah, and, and Foster had a had an all right game. He had his moments. Um, 17 for Roach. I, I, thought it's, I think I said it was 16 earlier, but it was 17. He had a good game. Uh, obviously, the story was, was Jared McCain just having an unconscious game against the Seminoles. But then the, the, the story under the story, and who I've been, I keep harping on talking about, is Kyle Filipowski. He had four fouls, just eight points, six turnovers, eight rebounds as well, though. He hit both his free throws. He was 37 from the floor. People just keep, keep, keep laying into this, into this young man. And, and, and all I'm going to say is if, if you hate seeing the hate for him as much as I do, go, go buy some of those flip chips, man. Dude's on an NIL bag of some chips. Hot honey barbecue sounds smacking. I'm not going to lie. So go get those chips, dude. Support the NIL and get a banging snack, most likely. That's all I'm saying. Um, but but also, these guys get enough hate from outside sources. They're Duke basketball players. And especially Kyle Filipowski is the team's best player. And we've seen it with McCain getting the hate as well. And Duke fans have backed Jared McCain through that hate from other places and they backed him because he's shot. He's done so well, but I'd like to think they would back him no matter what. But for Filipowski, he gets hate from outside sources. Maybe not as much as McCain has recently, but most of the hate Filipowski's facing is from within his, within his own camp at this point. It's from Duke fans. These guys are people. They're young people, man. And they're just, and it's hard. He's playing out of position. He's in a difficult position where people are throwing defenses at him constantly. He's the center of attention at Duke. And that's just the on-the-court stuff. We don't know about anything that might be going on off the court. And he's he's a funny guy. He He's lighthearted. He's such a good player. He came back when he could have been a first-round pick because he felt he had unfinished business and he wanted to win for Duke. And I, I just hate to think that people are – don't repay that with with hating on the guy, telling him he sucks, he's not good, he's he's soft, he's weak, because this dude is one of the best players in the country. He's not a center. He's not a center. I think Duke fans and fans in general want him to be a player that he's not. They want him to be Jolly Okafor at times, and he's not. They want him to be Derek Lively at times, and he's not. Just let him be Kyle Filipowski and be okay with that. This, this guy is 32 points away from crossing the 1,000-point threshold. Please don't let it be lost on, on anyone that he's a sophomore. Just a sophomore. And he's a, he is a projected lottery pick. Yeah, he's good. He's a good player. And that's why the expectations for him are so high. He's just a sophomore. And, and assuming that he does go to the NBA after this season, he will be just the second player in Duke basketball history to only play two years and have a thousand points. 
just he and Luke Kennard will fit that bill. He's he's been very good, very good. And 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 this is the kind of the, the thing that I wanted to talk about probably the most was the Filipowski hate. And I'm urging people to to not and I'm not saying everybody's doing it. I don't want this to come off where I'm like holier than thou kind of everybody else is hating on him and I'm standing up for him. There are plenty of people who are not hating on, on Kyle and there are plenty of people who aren't hating on these players. They're giving nothing but their support. And I say, thank you. This is also not to say that you can't have basketball criticisms. Like he shouldn't do a spin move in these situations. I wish that he would do this, uh, this basketball thing, having basketball criticisms for a player is not a bad thing at all. Like at all. But Telling a player he's soft, he's weak, and especially that he doesn't care. He clearly cares, man. Come on. I mean, telling him he doesn't, saying that he doesn't care, he looks aloof. That's, come on. Just, come on. But, uh, and I'll leave it kind of to, to David Bradley, uh, the basketball director of operations at Duke, who, who had a, a long tweet where he talked about, uh, and, and I'll read a couple of these things verbatim where he he said, you know, having passionate fans is great, but the emotional hot takes and overanalyzing around games can, can be toxic. Um, quite simply, just by watching these games, you don't know what's everything that's going into them. And, and, and I think it's harmful to make assumptions about players' personal motivations without them attesting to it or without knowing the full scope of, of what's going on with them on and off the court. And and in most situations, you can't know the full scope. And so it's just the best practice is to withhold that judgment from these guys. And I think that is true at all levels of basketball, but I think it is especially true when you're dealing with non-professionals. I will follow that up to say it is still very much true with professionals. Don't just because they're getting paid doesn't mean you get to bully them. Uh, But, you know, and yeah, and I'll go into his first point. It's a 40 minute game. Um, players are maybe playing through injury, feeling pressure, have life stuff. You know, they're, they're being put in situations on the court that they've, they've never seen before. And I think that's very much true with, with Filipowski. And I think with Tyrese Proctor, Tyrese Proctor to a lesser degree getting um, kind of uh, the short end of the stick with fans at times as well. The expectations that he's facing as well. Um, and it's like it's difficult dealing with expectations as well is kind of his second point. And yeah, missed shots and turnovers don't mean that they don't care that they're not playing hard is his third point. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, and they don't have to, you know, his fourth point, they don't have to be emotionally demonstrative to show that they're tough or that they care. You know, not everybody expresses emotion in the same way. Not everybody, we're all wonderfully diverse and different. Not everybody shows emotion and the fact that they care in like the same way that Quinn Cook might have, where he was punching Jalil Okafor's chest. That team was a very outwardly emotive team in a very passionate, obvious way and a, a lot of the time. And I think some other players, some other teams in a lot of ways are not. And that's okay. It doesn't mean they don't care, though. 
And yeah, and another thing is, you know, many players, they search their names and they see what you say about them. If you say Tyrese Proctor, if you say Kyle Filipowski, you say Flip, those guys can search that on Twitter and they can see what you're saying about them. And like, obviously players do that because Joey Baker sure did. I don't know if anybody else remembers the fact that Duke fans would just constantly talk. I'm not saying, and again, not everybody, but certain fans would talk crap about Joey Baker. And then he was liking those tweets. He's like, I see what you're saying about me is basically what he's saying by doing that. Uh, And he ends up transferring. You know, and you don't don't put a player at odds with with their own fan base. It, it you know come on man, and plenty of crap has been talked about players in the past. Javon Deloria got a lot of hate, but I I can't name a, a time where a player has been Duke's best player and gotten the kind of outward hate that Filipowski gets at times. And I just really I just really urge people if just don't don't do it. It doesn't need to to be said, especially not publicly um, on social media, because these guys can find it. They've grown up using social media as well. They're constantly on it. And there's just no reason. There's just no reason to say it. Um, Again, you can make constructive criticism is his last point. But you don't have to, you know. And there's certain people that, you know, I think are more guilty of this and and again again i don't i know who's listening to this podcast they're duke fans and that's why i wanted to address this because i want to say let's you know support the players man support the players is the overall thing and just but i know that 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 there are that there are fans that that listen to this and i don't want it to sound like i'm like you guys are being bad fans but like just be be aware of of the humanity of these players and that they can see the things that are said and that you know you can have good criticisms uh and there are plenty of of duke fans who are very positive i'm not even saying that you have to be positive all the time certainly there are times as a fan where you'd want to be negative but don't cast blame unknowingly you know uh, if you don't know the whole situation, don't tear into people, I guess is all I'm saying. And I hope this didn't come off as as, as too preachy. I know it came off as a little preachy probably uh, here up on my soapbox. But I hope that in, in some way that kind of the, the perception of how we're, we're talking about these players changes. But ultimately, to to step away from this, uh, to make my ending points is is Duke is getting better. They maybe aren't winning games to the degree of which I think they should be, but they're winning, and that's the most important thing. Shire has always got. It seems like he's always got these guys in a better place in February than at the beginning of the season, and I think that is very much true now. I think this is a big, big week for Duke in terms of especially can they beat Miami at Miami? It's not an easy game. And I think if they can, they've set themselves up in a very, very real way to make a push to win the ACC regular season. If they can't get that win against Miami, they're going to have to do something very difficult, and that's get this season sweep over Wake Forest on Saturday, which I think is a harder task. So, you know, if Duke's going to lose a game this week, which let me 
say they don't have to lose a game. It's not like they have to. They could they could very much win both games. But I suspect they might lose a game this week. And if that's the case, probably make it be the one on Saturday. For one, Wake's a better team. Uh, I think it's a more difficult game to begin with. And plus, it'd help Wake Forest try to get in the tournament. And the more ACC teams that are in the tournament, the better the perception is of the conference. We're already fighting an uphill battle. Everybody thinks the ACC sucks when it doesn't. Um, let's help Wake get in. Plus, the, the job Steve Forbes has done over the last three years, Wake deserves a, a tournament bid. And they just can't get these wins. I mean, they, they, they couldn't get the win against Duke, and then they lost by two points to Virginia. They just can't get these wins. And so, you know, I guess you, know, you don't want Duke to lose a game, but if they're going to lose... <laughs> The weight game is probably the most likely one, and it would probably be, you know, have the best ramifications. So that's just where I stand on that. We'll see when Proctor comes back. Jared McCain doing exceptionally well. I have full belief that Kyle Filipowski's st- he's still doing fine. I mean, over the stretch of four games, he's had two games where he had 16 and 21 points. Like, so he's still doing fine. He's had a couple of off games. I feel like he's gonna turn the corner and really have a good game sometime soon. He's going to cross the 1,000-point threshold soon. Let's celebrate that. That's something big. Um, hopefully, I'll be, I'll be able to, to make an episode for Thursday. I'm not going to make an empty uh, a promise that I potentially can't keep because my schedule has been very busy lately, but I will do my best to get an episode out Thursday. I know I was a bit long-winded in this one, and I may have gotten a little bit preachy, and for that, I apologize. But Duke basketball is looking good, and I think that in a lot of ways, they haven't played to the level that we know they can play at, and yet they've still won 15 of their last 17. They're ranked eighth in the country. They're a three seed. So what happens when this Duke team plays the way we know they can? That's the thought I want to leave you with. And as always, thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe, follow the podcast wherever, follow Duke Wisdom on Twitter and Instagram, and I will talk to you guys later.